Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Saturday edition of The Yard. You know, I told you we had a a change in the schedule this week, and uh, so we're going to knock out a Saturday show. We won't go as long as normal because your good friend and host is kind of pressed for time. I had to get up this morning. Uh, had a pretty good night's sleep, I will say, and then uh, had to get up and write a quick article for uh, jeanspage.com. And we'll be back at the ball yard here in uh, just a couple of hours. And so we're going to have a shorter show today. We won't do a top ten list today. I uh, just didn't have time to kind of get all that together. So I do apologize for those of you that are fans of the top ten list. But uh, we're going to talk about a couple of Mississippi State sporting events that happened on yesterday. Uh, one good and one not so good. And one, one great, shall we say. One great and uh, one not so good. Of course, I'm in Lexington. It is very cold here. And I want to give a tip of the cap to all the Bulldog fans that turned out and braved the cold to support the Diamond Dogs last night. We didn't get the result we were hoping to get, but nevertheless, those of you that turned out, I would submit to say there were probably as many Mississippi State fans as there were Kentucky fans last night, and and there weren't many of either, to be quite frank with you. I look at the box score right now. Uh, They say the attendance was 1,646. I can assure you that is incorrect. There is no way there were 1,600 people at the ballgame last night. Uh, really, really cold. The weather is listed as cold and damp. Uh, that is an understatement, to say the least. But give the folks at Kentucky some credit. I thought that the uh, the field was ready to go, but it's a turf field everywhere but the mounds. There's not a lot of work to do. Uh, nevertheless, not necessarily the best weather for baseball. And uh, I thought all all things being told, it was a pretty good game competition-wise. Wasn't the best conditions, but I thought both teams came out and played pretty well. I mean, there were times of, you know, pitching was somewhat uh, of an adventure for both teams, and we're going to get into that here a little bit later in the show. But first off, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I've loved them longer than they've loved me, but uh, they do love me. They do, and I love them right back. And uh, as I told you, I was in there earlier this week. I get in there probably once every couple of weeks. Some weeks, a little more often than that, when uh, I have friends that come to town, they say, hey, Steve, let's go try out Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, or maybe they're already raving fans of Bulldog Burger Company, and so they come with me. And so, uh, all that said, three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and in Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Coming up next Wednesday, on 22nd, going to have the TAP Takeover. going to be a pretty cool thing as uh, the folks from Memphis come in. going to be a great Great event. That's five to eight. Tap takeover at the Tupelo location, the Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and check it out. They're going to have some free gifts. And, of course, uh, some very unique beer for those of you that partake and such. I'm retired from all that, so I'm living vicariously through you. So I need a lot of you to go so you can come back and tell me how great it was. While you're there, have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. You'll be glad you did. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. It's in writing, so it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Get the chocolate shake to go, perhaps that bread pudding. I'm a proponent of dessert to go because I'm I'm the kind of person, I need a palate cleanser every time I eat anyway. It doesn't matter what I have. I've got to have something to kind of... You know, kind of clean things up a little bit there and get a you know get something sweet. I uh, just do. Whether it be a mint, whether it be a chocolate shake, I have to have it. Maybe you're like me. Make the meal complete. Get the full course. Get the appetizer. Get a great restaurant quality burger, and then get dessert too. You deserve it. 
You do. I don't care what anybody else says. Don't listen to them. You deserve it. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Our first story, our biggest story. The Mississippi State ladies become the first team to win a play-in game and then win a first-round game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so great, great, great development last night. Robbie and I were keeping up with the game, uh, sat next to each other. Robbie up here, of course, covering for us and the Starville Daily. And uh, had the game up, and you know, we kind of, in between pitches, we're kind of looking to see what the ladies are doing. The Bulldogs come out hot. It's a 25-16 first quarter. And I'm sitting there telling Robbie, I'm like, my gosh, look at how well we're shooting. Man, we might get 25 points this first quarter. Run off and leave them. And we did. And I thought our athleticism really overwhelmed Creighton. State also wins the second quarter by just one point there. But uh, it's a 10-point lead at the break, 47-37. And the mark of a good team is to make the halftime adjustment and come out. We knew that Creighton would come out and try to do their thing. They have their worst quarter of offensive execution of the ball game. State pushes the lead then to 20 points after three, after an 18-8 to eight quarter. And then Creighton finally gets over a little bit there in the fourth quarter. They get a 21-16 quarter, but at this point, the game had been decided. We were already celebrating at that point, as we should. The difference in this game, three-point shooting. And we talked about that. You know, this is a Creighton team. It doesn't have a lot of length and have a lot of size inside. We knew Jessica Carter needed to have a big game for us. She did. But really the difference in this ball game, your ladies 11 of 19 from three and Creighton 9 of 34. State's athleticism really bothered them on the perimeter. Uh, we talked about Lauren Jensen kind of being the straw that serves the drink. She had a big night, 22 points. And really outside of that, there wasn't a lot to go around. Emma Ronziak had 21. Nobody else in double figures. Two players are not going to beat five. That's just that's just how life works. But uh, you know, a great effort. And let's uh, get a little more in depth here in the ball game. Uh, uh, Jaquela Jordan, 20 points for her. Jessica Carter, 14 points, 10 rebounds, a double double. You take that every time. Anastasia Hayes also with a dozen and five rebounds. Alana Smith with 10, and Asna Johnson with 10. So five players for the Bulldogs scored double figures, and uh, Debrisha Poe. Nine. So we nearly had six scores. It was very much a team win. Uh, the ladies pulled down 37 rebounds. You knew there was a size advantage there. It's just if you didn't get these long rebounds, and there were a bunch of those on the offensive end. Uh, 33 rebounds for Creighton. 11 of those offensive rebounds. But uh, you know, it just never felt like, even from the early stages of this game, that Creighton was going to be able to compete with Mississippi State. So you've got an 11 seed beating a 6 seed. Let's take a quick look here. Really, you know, we usually talk about the uh, the end of a game. I thought this game, for the most part, was decided early on. Uh, State comes out, hits a three-pointer on the first possession, and then uh, Morgan Malley misses one for Creighton. So they weren't able to answer. And then Poe with another three. And then Emma Roz- uh, Ronziak makes one. It's a 6-3 ball game. Anastasia Hayes then pitches in with a three. So three consecutive possessions, three out of four possessions for the Bulldogs, end with a three-point basket. And I thought that set a very, very good tone. Jaquelia Jordan gets one, too. Now it's a 12-7 ball game, but it's one of those things, too. It's not just one player being hot. 
It is clear from the early stages of this game, not only is Mississippi State prepared, Mississippi State is executing. The lead swells to nine points as Ramani Parker makes a jumper in the paint to make it a 16-7 game. And at this point, I think we all realize, you know, hey, we're good to go. We just got to continue to play here. Wholesale substitutions. We're doing a really good job here, kind of rotating. Uh, the lead goes back to seven as Azanae Johnson makes a jumper with just under the three-minute mark. And again, Creighton's doing what they do, trying to get this thing going. And these shots are contested. They did get some open looks. They did knock some of those down. But by and large, they did a good job defending the perimeter. We get a foul down low. Jessica Carter makes a pair of free throws, pushes it up to nine. Then the lead again goes all the way back out to 11. At 146 to go as Azanae Johnson rams one home. And you begin to think now, is this is just a hit parade. This is a Bulldog basketball team that is well coached. This is a Bulldog basketball team that is executing at a high level. You wondered how long they could keep it up. That was the real question. As you come out there and you lay a haymaker in the first quarter, can you keep it going? And really in the second quarter, the ladies not only you know maintained the lead, they expanded it. I mean, Jaquella Jordan hits a pair of free throws to push it to 13. Anastasia Hayes' jumper just at around the five-and-a-half-minute mark makes it a 15-point ball game, and it feels like State's about to run away with this thing. It gets as high as 17 after Alana Smith makes her own three-point basket. And it's like, my word, you know, we're red hot and we're not slowing down. And it just seemed to be our night. Just over two minutes to go, State still maintains a 17-point lead. And from there, you know, I guess they cut it down at some point to single digits. And then State responds. But there was really no question even at the break, who was going to win this game. You see, you know what? It's only a 10-point game, Steve. Anything can happen in college basketball, especially on the women's side. But I thought we really, in that third quarter, the decisive third quarter, State did such a great job kind of ratcheting up the pressure defensively, really contesting these shots. I mean, we're going down here, kind of looking at this. Um, you know, it's three consecutive three-point baskets that are missed by Creighton. It's one of those things when you're trying to carve in a lead and you're trying to stay in a ball game, you do what you do, you do what you do best, and State was taking that away from the Lady Blue Jays. Right around the six-minute mark, you know, it's an 11-point game. They finally make a three-point basket. Finally, right? And we're nearly midway through the period. And then State gets out on a fast break and immediately pushes it back out uh, to a 13-point game. But it's another missed three from Lauren Jensen, another missed three from Emma uh, Ronziak. And so it's like there seemed to be a sense of desperation with Creighton because the shots simply weren't falling, and they were for the Bulldogs. It's a 17-point game, and they missed their fifth consecutive three-point basket and finally make one with three three to go. But it's a 17-point lead. Of course, they didn't push it out to, seven, uh, to 20. But it's like State beat Creighton at their own game. It's like, yes, we have a good post game. Yes, Jessica Carter is somebody you can't match up with, but we're out here defending your threes, and then our threes are falling. And again, you get through this third quarter, and it made the fourth feel largely academic. I think that's how we all kind of felt here. You know, it is a 20-point game heading into the fourth quarter. And that's it. That's how it ends. And so your Bulldogs advance in the tournament and now 22-10 and 10 overall. Creighton's season ends 12-9. and 9. They are a 15-5 and 5 team in the Big East. And so now your ladies will get ready to prepare to play again, a rematch 
against Notre Dame. Maybe we can get Morgan William to be the honorary captain. We owe the Fighting Irish. There's no question about that. We absolutely owe them. Of course, the stakes aren't quite as high. But the reality of it is, is they, they won an AFL championship. Um, I think we all know what happened. Morgan William was mugged in the half court in a game that State was about to win. And ultimately, that sets up a game-winning shot, one of the biggest shots in uh, NCAA women's basketball history. And we run a losing end of that. So congratulations to Sam Purcell, his entire staff, and your Lady Bulldogs. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think most of us felt beginning of the year that our women would advance farther than the men. And it's not in any way to say anything negative about the men. I think most of us felt we'd be a strong NIT team, hope to make the tournament. We do. We get beat in the play-in game. The ladies have now won two games and uh, are now in the round of 32 with a chance to go to the Sweet 16. And so let's get ready to preview a little bit of this uh, Notre Dame team. And uh, my phone is nearly dead. You have to forgive me. We did not bring a box. We're, the wife is on the way to the store right now to, to remedy that. But uh, since we're not going to do a top 10 today, we're going to have uh, Blair Chandler is going to sponsor our preview of Notre Dame. All right, so clothesofblair.com. Be sure and check it out. If you have needs in the mortgage industry, you have a friend in the industry. That's Blair Chandler. He's my friend, your friend, a friend to everybody in need. Blair's number is 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Or visit him on the World Wide Web at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. How cool is that? It's about a $500 value. A lot of people want your business. Blair's willing to prove it. Top 1% close ratio in the country in back-to-back years. Works for Fairway Mortgage a very reputable mortgage lender that was recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage loan origination. That's closewithblair.com. Okay. Yes, I am salty about us losing to Notre Dame. I was there. Uh, many of you were as well. It was our, our year, and it, uh, they stole it from us. One of those deals, too, we look back and we, we wonder if we'll ever get that close again. I don't know if we will. But perhaps we can get a bit of a measure of, of uh, revenge here if we can, uh, you know, get a, get a W here against Notre Dame. And they were impressive yesterday. Uh, have not – didn't get a chance to watch the game, but you look at the numbers here. Uh, Robbie and I did talk about it. He was able to watch it a little bit. Uh, Notre Dame, you know, good game for them is they beat Southern Utah 82-56. to Now let's take a quick look at what kind of year it's been uh, for the Fighting Irish. You know, Muffet McGraw has retired, so it's a completely new regime up there. But they begin the year, uh, put together a pretty sizable win streak here. They win their first five. They get into the ACC Big uh, Ten Challenge. They lose to Maryland in South Bend by a couple. They bounce back, and they beat UConn. Now, UConn's not what they have been, but they're still UConn. They beat UConn, and they absolutely destroy Merrimack College and, again, put together a really nice winning streak here. Uh, let's see here. After they beat lost to Maryland, they put together one, two, three, four, five, six in a row. They lose to North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And they bounce back again and put together a you know, five-game winning streak, four-game winning streak, excuse me, five. Yeah, it's five. They lose to NC State in Raleigh, beat Boston College, lose to Duke in South Bend, take care of Pitt, Syracuse, Louisville in overtime, blast Pitt by 40, beat Georgia Tech, they beat Louisville, and they get into the ACC tournament. 
They beat NC State and lose to Louisville, and that game was not good, 64-38. But uh, the thing that you notice is that they just when they do lose, they don't magnify that and have a losing streak, right? They, they rebound. So 26-5 and overall, 15-3 and in their conference, 14-2 and at home, 8-2 and in true road games, and 4-1 and in neutral games. This is a good team. Don't get me wrong. It is. We're going to have to play well. They played well yesterday. And let's be honest about that. I mean, you're hosting Southern Utah in your home arena. You better play well. And they advance. And, um, you know, you're kind of looking at the numbers here from yesterday. Again, 82-56 is your final. That was the afternoon game prior to ours. But um, Notre Dame just really all over Southern Utah from the outset, 27-10 first quarter, and then 16-14 at the break. And so the game is essentially decided at the break. And then Notre Dame comes out in the third quarter and really removes all doubt with another 27-point quarter. Uh, Give Southern Utah some credit. They win the fourth quarter by two, right? So congratulations on that. But, um, you know, you start looking at at, uh, Notre Dame's numbers here. It's just one of these deals you start thinking, okay, well, they're missing some players. They've lost a couple of guards this year. But, uh, you know, four players in double digits. Uh, Matty Westbeld with 20, Sonia Citron with 14, Lauren Epo with 14, Kylie Watson with 12, KK Bransford, the uh, fifth starter, had nine points. So nearly all five starters in double figures. And again, this just really wasn't much of a game. So we're going to have to play our best basketball. And it's not to say that we haven't played some teams comparable to Notre Dame. We're certainly capable of going in there and winning this game. Uh, it's difficult to go on the road to win in the SEC. It is in the ACC as well. This is a Notre Dame team. Obviously, it's been very, very good at home. So we're going to have to bring our best effort. That's going to be absolutely, you know, paramount for us. We can't go out there and play and then kind of hope they're going to give us the game. It's just not going to be the case. Now, Olivia Miles is done for the tournament. All-American guard. That's 14.3 points a game. It's gone. So, you know, what do we do? You know, what, what do we do? How do we handle this? Uh, Sonia Citrigan now the leading scorer, now averaging 14.7 points a game. But Olivia Miles, that, that is a significant loss. And, of course, we're better than Southern Utah, yeah, as we should be. And so I think most people would favor Notre Dame in this game, but uh, I have learned not to doubt uh, Sam Purcell and, uh, and our ladies. I do think it's going to be a very difficult undertaking. But we're going to have to come out there and uh, and probably get a big start like we did yesterday. We're going to have to come out there and not survive the first quarter. We probably need to come out punching. Uh, looking at the splits for Notre Dame this year, they have outscored their opponents in every quarter. Every quarter. There's never a weak quarter. You know, Probably the, most, uh, the closest, I guess, that it gets is maybe the second quarter. And they're still outscoring their opponents by – 120. I guess third. the third quarter is not – they score a bunch of points in the third quarter, but they also allow a little bit too after his halftime adjustments. First quarters have been a little bit um, interesting for them, but, you know, that they're, they're a team that scores in bunches. They scored 2,326 points this year. Their opponent's just 1820. Looks like if you can get them to overtime, maybe you got a chance. But, uh, again, this is a very, very good team. It's one of these teams that, uh, you know, averaging 75 points a game, only allowing 58.7. So, obviously a very good defensive team. You know Notre Dame is a national brand. They do recruit at a high level. Uh, they're a team that's been pretty good at three, too. There's 31%. Uh, 
maybe not jacking it up like Creighton, but uh, they're a team that can make you pay. But they're just averaging, you know, just just over four three-point baskets a game. It's not like it's a huge part of their offense, but they do enough just to keep you honest. Free throw percentage is a team 71%, not great, not bad. Uh, rebounding, they're plus 10 on the year. And uh, dishing out just nearly 17 assists. So, again, this is going to be a cohesive unit that gets out there and plays for sure. And their steals, they're eight and a half a game, allowing seven and a half, so it's just plus one there. But, uh, again, not a ton of blocks here. You know, it's just one of these teams that um, they spread you out and make you pay. You know, so I'm interested to see what we do. Of course, we'll play that game tomorrow and we'll recap it on Monday. But uh, I'm excited for the ladies because I feel like, and I, listen, I don't know if we ever recapture what we had in our Vic. I, I don't know that. I, I don't. None of us do. But it's good to see the ladies winning again because we went year, we went decades without anything. And then, you know, Sharon Fanning comes around, and all of a sudden we become a good team in the Southeastern Conference. In some years we were a great team in the Southeastern Conference. And then Vic Schaefer built upon that. And I think we all thought, hey, we never expected to be in this position. We never thought we'd be a women's basketball school, but here we are, and we love it. Everybody was wearing the shirts. Everybody was bringing their kids to games. It was fun because we expected to win. And I remember, I think it was Brian Haydad that said, this must be what Alabama football feels like, right? Because you know every time you take the floor, you're going to win. And it was fun. Now, this year I haven't had that feeling that every time we take the floor we're going to win. But the fact that we're in an NCAA tournament and we've won a couple of games, especially after what these young ladies have endured the last two years. You know, some of them are transfers, you know, so they haven't been here with us to the entire time. But, you know, people forget, you know, the Nikki McRae-Pinson year, abysmal. It was. On and off the court. It was a mess. Then Nikki resigns. Staff does a good job last year. You know, we just kind of run out of gas, play most games with six to seven players. And so it's good to see the ladies that have endured all that experience some success. And how much fun was it to watch the video of them uh, you know, putting their name down in the bracket? They're representing me and you. They're representing Mississippi State, the, uh, the university that we hold in such high regard and esteem and love. And so I'm proud of them. I hope the journey continues. But I think in many respects, as much as we want them to win, we probably have, have exceeded or at least met every goal we had. We wanted to make the tournament. We were hoping to not be in the play-in game and maybe win a game or two. Well, we've done that. And so I think at this point we're playing with house money. You know, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, this is not a national championship caliber team, right? We're, we don't expect to get to the Final Four. Not to mention the fact the bracket we're in is uh, very unforgiving, Right. <laughs> Just kind of part of how it all works. But uh, I think it's okay to be pretty giddy about all this at this point. I mean, it's like, for some people, this is somewhat unexpected. Um, You know, I think it's okay for us to want and expect more. You know, I don't think we should say, well, you know, it was so great. It it all happened. You know, it was all great when it happened under Vic, but we'll never have that again. And I don't know that we will. But it still doesn't mean we can't have some success, some measure of success. And I think, you know, hey, I'd love to be able to hang some more Sweet 16 or better banners in Humphrey Coliseum, you know, some maroon and some white. But uh, looking at our side of the bracket here, of course, if, uh, you know, you win this game against Notre Dame, 
then you play the winner of the Arizona Maryland game. That's a two and seven game. Arizona, of course, uh, takes care of West Virginia 75 62, and then Maryland destroys Holy Cross 93 61. So the winners of that game, the winner of those games, will play the winner of Mississippi State Notre Dame. I think most people are expecting that to be Notre Dame. Would it be nice to throw a little uh, fly in the ointment there? But um, to get beyond that, of course, you're asking an awful lot. You are. You're asking an awful lot. So, hey, if we can beat Notre Dame and get to the Sweet 16, I think that is an absolute best-case scenario for us. But no matter how that ball game goes on Sunday, I'm going to be proud of these ladies and proud of this team. I know you all share that same sentiment because we didn't realize what we had until we lost it, and now we miss it. And it's nice to know that we have a little something to be proud of again on the women's basketball side. So, I uh, said at the beginning of the year that I thought we'd hired the right two coaches. They have proven us all correct. Those of us that have put our our <clears throat> our respect and support behind these coaches. And we're going to be able to hang a couple of banners. And, yes, I get it. People are going to say, well, those are participation trophies. You know what? When you think about what men's or women's basketball has been through the last few years, the fact that we're going to be able to hang an NCAA tournament banner, and we should expect more. But in year one, for both of these coaches to make the tournament and then for Sam Purcell and his staff to win a couple of games, that's outstanding. It is. And, again, I think we can all feel good kind of moving forward because I believe we've identified the individuals to help Mississippi State basketball become not only relevant but uh, challengers within this league and I think probably toughed out, tough outs in the NCAA tournament. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart are a Starkvillian institution. Uh, the Bully Shop has been completely renovated. Go by and check them out today. Everything's on the first floor now. They're no longer in the textbook business, so it's allowed them to expand their selection of Mississippi State merchandise. Best selection in a known universe. You get Bulldogs doing a great job for Bulldogs, and I'm a big proponent of doing business with Mississippi State people whenever I can. I want to keep it in the family. If I have given down to it, if I got to make a decision between two businesses and I know that they're Bulldogs that own and operate one of them, they're getting the nod from me. And that's what you get at Campus Bookmark. It's, it's, a, it's a business full of Mississippi State folks knowing what you're looking for, working hard to get the best Mississippi State merchandise for each and every one of you. I thank Miss Kathy Brown for that. She is a wonderful person, does such a great job uh, procuring fine merchandise for us to, to, to decorate our homes with and and to wear and represent Mississippi State, you're not going to find anybody doing a better job. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 absolutely incomplete. All right. Let's jump into this baseball game. Of course, I'm here and uh, disappointed, obviously. Was really disappointed in the first inning. And I expected, I, I told you guys I thought we'd win two out of three. Friday was a game I was worried about, even though Gerangelo was pitching. SEC on the road, you know, you think, well, you know, it's going to be a big atmosphere. There's not a big atmosphere here in Kentucky, even during the best of times. There certainly wasn't last night in this 30-degree uh, weather. But we had a very difficult first inning. But give the kid credit. He had that terrible first inning, and then he came back and threw up zeros the rest of his outing. Bullpen comes in and is good. Just wasn't quite good enough. And it's not just about pitching. 
It's not just about defense. Bulldogs didn't make a single error last night. We talked about playing clean. We played good defense. We did. Made a couple plays that were outstanding, a couple that uh, Kentucky people were upset about. I thought Lane Forsyth really good. Second base, I mean, excuse me, at short. Made a couple plays up the middle that uh, I don't think a lot of people could make. But let's break down the game here. We'll kind of move forward again. Uh, we'll be back with you on Monday. We'll recap games two and three. And, of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the women's game. But uh, top of three, excuse me, my goodness, top of one, Mississippi State goes one, two, three. Monty Larry flies out, Ledbetter grounds out to third. Chance flies out of center field. And uh, we're running some counts up a little bit. We're putting the ball in play. And even though we went to one, two, three, I thought, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get to them. We'll get to them once we'll, we'll settle in here. And then we have, we immediately go out there and, and basically give them the game in the bottom of one. That's kind of how it felt, right? It's like even after one inning, you and I were thinking the same thing. We're going to lose this game. We're going to lose. And it goes back to what something Luke Hancock told me on Wednesday. He goes, it's 27 innings of war and everything can change in one inning. And I thought about that when this happened. I said, you know, this, this is the defining the ending of this ball game. And in many respects, it was. Even though State came back, you spot somebody four in the first, it's difficult to win that ball game. And so we hit Gray, and then we walk Felker, and then there's a single to left. And bases are loaded, nobody out. You know at this point they're going to score, right? It's just that first inning, something's going to happen, whether it be a wild pitch or a sack fly. They're going to be a ground ball on the right side. They're going to get a run in here. So you know you're going to give up some runs. You just hope you can limit the damage. And what do we do? We hit Petrie. So now we've, we've, we've gotten a run forced in without the benefit of an out. Then we get a pop-up. Uh, that Larry runs down. Everybody has to hold. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. 
Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And then you think, okay, hey, we're a pitch away from getting out of this. If we can roll up a ground ball here, we can limit the damage to one run. And then Waldschmidt singles to right, two-run score. It's 3 nothing. And then they run a little bunt play here and give them credit for it. This was after that long situation here where the umpire didn't know the rule. So let me, let me reiterate what the rule is, okay? It's a different deal. And uh, so Gerangelo is a both-handed pitcher, right? That's well established. The hitter has to declare first. So once the hitter steps into the ball into the batter's box, he is now establishing, I'm going to hit from the right side or left side. You can't change with any bat. Neither can a pitcher. So he has to declare. So he does. And then Gerangelo changes the side of the glove. And then they tag us with a delay and give us a one-ball count. Lamont, then, the, then the hitter wanted to hit from the other side. Well, the bat's already begun. So Lamontis comes out, complains. Not only did we not know the rules as the crew on the field, we had to do an actual review and call Birmingham and get it confirmed. So they made the, the hitter go back and hit from the left side. And then during this crazy delay, Nick Mangione, that crafty joker, decides, hey, let's surprise them here. They run the bunt, and sure enough, they get the run home. Uh, I thought it was a great play there. I'm a fan of the short game. I like people that uh, you know, kind of put pressure on defenses. The run scores. We get Yule to strike out swinging. But it's a 4 nothing ball game. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know, it's a long game, a lot of baseball left. I did worry about the conditions a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, you, you get in a big hole like that early and you think at some point they're going to score again. But there's still eight innings left to play. Right, Stay goes one, two, three in the second. Excuse me, yeah. Again, I, this I, I'm losing I'm losing track here. I'm on my laptop. So, all right, top of second, Hancock singles to left, high fill K swing, and then and Hines grounds uh, out to the third baseman. They force the, uh, the the language here is wrong. So we ground out, and the only play is to first. Hancock takes second, and then Kellum strikes out swinging. If I can ever get all this correct, all right. Gerangelo comes back and gets a 1-2-3 inning in a second. You get Smith, who's a nine-hole hitter to strike out swinging. Leadoff hitter Gray flies out to center. Felker out to left. Uh, memory serves me correct. This was a uh, nine-pitch inning. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven-pitch inning. Seven-pitch inning. There we go. So good bounce back inning for him. And it allows State, again, you kind of hold the game in place. Slate Alford, who has really struggled at the plate as of late, gets a single back up the middle. Lane strikes out swinging, and my Larry grounds out to short. The only play is to first. 
Alford takes second. Ledbetterton walks after a lengthy at bat here. And then Bryce Chance walks. And then Hancock walks. Highfield eventually grounds out the second. The run scores on the walk. But, guys, we're doing a great job of managing the game here. Like, I read a lot of stuff. Like, a lot of people have these hot takes. And uh, they're hot only because they're stupid. Uh, but we're, we've got a guy out there who's a strike thrower. Prior to the game, Darren Williams had struck out 17 and walked just one. Okay, well, he walks three in the inning here, and we had five full counts. You talk about running a pitch count up, that's what it is. And when you've got a guy like that that is going to pound the zone, especially under these conditions, you've got to make him throw pitches. We did. And this should have been a bigger inning than it was, but at least we got on the board here. And we ran his pitch count up. I, I, I remember yesterday, I think it was 38 pitches in the inning. I think that's right. Bottom of third, we're within three. Gerangelo comes out, gets a line out to second. We walk, pass ball, then there's a K swinging, and then we get a ground out to the pitcher. So, yes, we, we work around a one-out walk here, but we put ourselves back on offense very quickly. And, and all of a sudden you start thinking, hey, yeah, we're only down three. Hines is out first at first. It'll ground out to first or the third of the pitcher. And then Kellum on an 0-2 pitch. The, the, you know, the, Williams catches too much to play here. And uh, we knew it was going off the bat. Now, all of a sudden, it's a 4-2 ball game. You're thinking, hey, if we can keep posting some zeros, we've got a chance here. Uh, Sweet Offer comes up and singles back up the middle, and it's good to see him using the middle of the field. I think sometimes he gets himself in trouble trying to pull too much. Uh, Lane then reaches on a fielder's choice. They do force uh, Slate there at second. And some kind of the same thing happens with Larry. But you look at this and you say, hey, you know, hey, we put a couple balls in play here. One of them went over the fence. We're within two. If Gerangelo can go out there and uh, get us another zero, we got a chance. Now, the kid here struggles a little bit. You walk the eight-hole hitter. You walk, excuse me, you walk the seven-hole hitter. And then the eight, we couldn't finish Yule. And uh, Yule obviously was big later in this ball game. So the, here's the book on Yule, Kendall Yule. It's at Kentucky. He transferred from Eastern Kentucky. And uh, he's played only six games this year. He's been injured. But talking to Kentucky people, they believe he is actually their best hitter, which is saying something. They said he had a great fall. He had a great spring. He got injured. And he's just – they wanted to get him back for SEC play. Guys, this is a 10-pitch at bat here with Gerangelo, who had been cruising pretty good here, right? But you walk McCoy, and then Yule works and works and works and works and works and fouls off four two-strike pitches and ultimately walks. So now you've got runners at first and second. They get the sack bunt down. Runners now at second and third, and then we walk to load the bases. So three walks in the inning, and you generally don't live to tell the tale when you walk three in an inning. But we give up nothing. He gets Felker to strike out swinging, and then Burks flies out. It's a little short fly ball out there that Larry runs down. So give the kid a lot of credit for pitching himself into trouble and then getting himself out of trouble. But, again, I go back to that at bat with Yule. There's nothing more frustrating for a pitcher outside of a bad umpire than when you can't finish a guy. When you got a guy up there and he keeps fouling balls off, you throw a breaking ball, he fouls it off. You throw a fastball, he fouls it off. You throw a changeup, fouls it off. And that's kind of what happened with Yule here. He kept fou- Everything that Gerangelo threw, he's able to foul it off. And sometimes you got to punt. I know some people would say, oh, you hate to lose him right there. I mean, how many pitches do you want to throw when you've got a guy up there that you know you can't finish? How many pitches are you going to throw? Sometimes you just got to throw something out of his own, hope he chases it. And that was the case here, and he didn't. 
but were able to navigate through three walks in the inning without giving up runs. And I thought, you know what, this could be a turning point in the ballgame for us. Even though Gerangelo wasn't great in that half inning, he finished up really strong, showed some real moxie and some courage, and got through that inning without surrendering a run. And then his offense pays off for him here in the fifth. Ledbetter grounds out. I really thought this ball was foul initially. And I think Colton did too. And uh, it ends up being a little dribbler down the line. They throw him out at first. Bryce Chance and singles to left. Hancock reaches on a fielder's choice. And there's an error that pulls the, the second baseman or the shortstop off the bag at second. So everybody's safe. And they walk Ross Highfield to load the bases. They bring in Byers uh, in place of Williams. And, again, you know, the, Williams is out of this ballgame because of that, uh, that big inning. We, we forced five full counts and ran his pitch count up. So we got him out of the ballgame, which is huge. And then r- right out of the gate, we, th- they called this a throwing error. I did not agree with it. Okay, I did not agree with the scoring. Nobody asked me to vote on this, but it's an excuse-me type swing. Hunter Hines, it, it's basically a, a swing and bunt here. They weren't going to get him. They call a throwing error here, and I think they're just trying to protect a pitcher, to be quite honest with you. I think they're trying to protect ERAs by calling this an error. And, again, I didn't get to see a good replay. But he wasn't going to get him. And so, yeah, he may have thrown the ball offline there. But, you know, it, that was not a routine play by any stretch of the imagination. At the end of the day, Stig gets a run home and everybody's safe. Kellum Clark then comes up there. There's a lot of our fans, again, with the hot takes, that don't have a good opinion about Kellum Clark. They don't know a lot about baseball either. Kellum's done this multiple times this year. He gets behind an account. You know, of course, his approach right here, right, if, if I'm stepping up here with the bases loaded in a one-run ball game, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm looking for something to elevate. It may not be a home run, but I'm thinking, hey, maybe I can get an RBI sack fly here and it ties the ball game. Uh, maybe I get a line drive somewhere, but I'm looking something. I'm looking for something I can handle, right? So he gets down 0-2 here, fouls two balls off. Then he has to shorten the stride a little bit and take a two-strike approach. We talk about the people you know, beating our chest, you know, with the two strikes to recognize what we're in. We had a really silly discussion about that recently over at jeanspage.com. And Kellum Clark with a two-strike approach, what does he do? Just kind of gets a bad head out there, throws his hands out there, and singles back up the middle. Two-run score makes it a 5-4 ball game. So, Kellum Clark, in two of his first three at-bats, has three RBI. And he has pulled your Bulldogs back into the lead. And now, all of a sudden, you start thinking, hey, it's a ball game again, right? We've gotten their starter out of the game. We're able to get on base a little bit here. we got traffic on the bases. They go ahead and bring in Mason Moore, who is one of their best pitchers. He gets Slate to strike out swinging. They do walk Forsyth, load the bases again. You think, okay, we've got a Monty Larry up here, a little duck snort anywhere. We can break this thing open and give more credit to get the strikeout swinging. Gerangelo comes back out and rewards the, the offense by posting a 1-2-3 inning. He gets Petrie, who's a tough out. That's a guy that doesn't strike out. We get him to ground out to short. Gilliam strikes out looking. Walshmitt strikes out looking. And you think, man, man, bring him back out for the sixth, right? Our top of six, uh, Ledbetter infield single here. And I really thought this is when the game changed. This inning right here is when I think the momentum for us offensively really changed. We had them on the ropes. And give Mason Moore some credit. He came in and threw water on the fire for Kentucky. 
But this inning here, we get the leadoff guy on. We sack him to second. And so you've got, you know, an, an important insurance run here, and we can't do anything with him. We don't. Uh, we end up actually, uh, you know, getting led better in a rundown, so it kind of negates the whole deal, you know, of us surrendering the bunt. I've never been a big proponent in middle innings of, of playing for one. But under these circumstances, with the weather the way that it was and the sun going down and it getting colder, I thought, okay, let's play for one here because of the way that we're pitching and the way they're pitching, runs may be at a premium. So if you can squeeze one across here, it could be a big deal. We don't do anything with it. Ross ends up flying out to right to end, to end the inning. We bring in Casey Hunt here. I was intrigued about the move. And I thought, you know what, maybe you don't give Jerron Gillow another inning. But as good as he was in the fifth, I don't know that I wouldn't have given him one in the sixth. But Casey comes in as a good job. Gets McCoy to strike out swinging. Ewell strikes out looking. And uh, if memory serves me correct, Casey got him on the breaking ball. Uh, Smith, we walked the nine-hole hitter. And two out walks of the nine-hole hitter are not just satanic. They are straight from the pits of hell. Walking the nine-hole hitter with two outs, those are that's losing baseball. Fortunately, didn't hurt us. We get a ground out to first uh, to end the inning on a full count. And so we go top of seven. And stay goes one, two, three. And this is what I, we scratch and claw and finally get a lead. And next thing you know, I guess they retired, what, uh, eight in a row after the sack bunt? It's crazy. All right, so Hines strikes out swinging. Clark lines out to left. And then Offord strikes out swinging. Pretty meek attempt there on the uh, third swing there. And give Mason Morris some credit for that. He had us guessing a little bit. And so we took some swings that were not necessarily competitive swings. Casey's back out in the seventh. We get an 0-2 count, and we catch way too much of the plate here. And then Felker doubles down the line and left. So now all of a sudden, the tie runs on board with nobody out. Casey, rather than fold, refuses to yield. Strikeout swinging. Now, there is a wild pitch that moves that runner to third. We're able to navigate that. Uh, Petrie flies out to shortstop. We get basically a pop-up there. Runner can't advance. And then we get Gilliam to strike out swinging. At this point, Gilliam was, what, uh, 0 for 4 with 3 Ks. All right, top of 8. I think it's right. Top of 8. Lane strikes out swinging. Larry grounds out to third. Ledbetter walks on a four-pitch at bat. And then Chance strikes out looking. Mason Morris shutting us down. This kid's shoving right here. And I was worried. At this point, I'm thinking, man, we really need to find a way to get another run here because I don't think that five is going to be enough to win it. Bottom of eight, we give KC one more. And I've seen so many people have some discussions about this. Well, you should have given Nate a clean inning. I understand that argument. But to play devil's advocate, what if KC could have finished the ball game and then we don't have to use Nate on Friday. And listen, I get it. Winning Friday is so incredibly important. When you can steal a Friday road win, you got to do it. I would have absolutely sent Casey back out for the eighth. I would have given him one hitter, which is what we did, and he ends up walking him. And then you bring in you bring in uh, Nate. He gets a K swinging, uh, a K swinging. And, of course, you know, you, you give a stolen base part of this deal here. But um, – and then you get the nine-hole hitter. Right? You got Nate against their nine-hole hitter, and it's a one-two count. And you think, you know, we're going to finish this guy. We end up throwing a ball, and what do you do? Kind of like the Kellen Clark thing. He just kind of throws a bad head out here and pushes it back up the middle, and the run scores. 
But there's a lot to this. It's not just the walk, right? It's not just the walk. It's giving up the stolen base. The stolen base is what sets this whole thing up here. You give up the walk, and you get a K, and then you get a stolen base, and you get the K, and you're thinking, okay, if this guy's at first base, it doesn't matter about the single. And so it all works together. Every at-bat matters over the comp. We always talk about it. it. It never comes down to one pitch. It absolutely does not. It never comes down to one pitch, no matter what anybody says, does, or thinks. These are the type of things that get you beat. You give up a leadoff walk, and you give up a, a stolen base, and we weren't even competitive on a throw. And then the nine-hole hitter, just the bat finds the ball. Totally the case. And it's like, again, we go back to this. You know, I go back to the sixth and seventh innings offensively. We didn't do anything. All right, top of nine, it's a tie ball game. Hancock grounds out to short. Highfield strikes out looking. Then Hines singles to right field. And then Clark walks. And all of a sudden, you got a little something going here. We pinch run here for Hines to put David Mersh on. I've even seen people being critical of this. I absolutely disagree with you here. Hunter Hines, love the kid to death. Not going to win a foot race against anybody on the team. Okay? So you have the go-ahead run at second. David Mershon can run. Now, all of a sudden, any ball that bleeds through the infield... He's going to score from second. Hunter Hines is not going to do that. You're going to have to play station to station baseball more times than not with Hunter. And again, that's not being critical. That's just the reality of life. He's he's not a, a, a fleet merchant, a speed merchant. Excuse me. Slate Offer then reaches on an error here, and the bases are loaded. They bring in Chavez for more, and uh, Lane grounds out to third. And uh, good play by the third baseman there. But, again, here we are in the ninth with the bases loaded and a chance to take the lead, and we can't do it. We didn't even get the ball out of the infield, even though we, we reach on an error by the shortstop. But the reality of it is is you, when you've got the go-ahead run there at second with less than two outs, you got to get him home. And we don't. Not good situational hitting by any stretch of the imagination. All right, bottom of nine, Nate comes out, gets a one, two, three inning. We'll get a strikeout swinging, a strikeout swinging. And a ground out short. You got Petrie just ground out. Got that, that guy's not the typical four-hole hitter, but, man, that guy's a tough out. All right, top of 10, Chavez is shoving, man. He is. Top of 10, they strike out the side here. And this isn't like we went and got three pinch hitters. Amani Larry strikes out swinging. Ledbetter strikes out swinging. Chance strikes out looking. The momentum in this game had clearly shifted. It just really felt like it was a matter of time before we were going to lose. And lose we did. So, Gilliam, who we talked about before, 0 for 4 with three Ks, and he comes up and he singles to left. And, listen, it wouldn't be the last inning with Nate without a runner on. I mean, that's just kind of how it's been. I mean, that's not a criticism of him. It's just how things work. They get the sack bunt down, moves the runner to second. Now, I really thought this next at bat with McCoy was very significant. Gilliam's at, at second, right? So, it's a fly ball to right. And he doesn't tag. And so it's a non-productive out. And I thought to myself at the time, I was like, this is significant. Kellum runs it down, makes a great play, and the runner's still stranded at second. I'm thinking, hey, this is huge because, I, oh, hey, you know, hey, he's not at third, right? So now all of a sudden you can be real aggressive with your pitching. What do we do? We have a wild pitch and move him to third. So it negates the advantage you gain but really a base running mistake. And I don't know how, how fleet of foot Gilliam is. And maybe that's what they were thinking. We don't want to run the risk of getting thrown out at third here and ending the game. But I thought it was significant that we they didn't advance a runner and then we gift them third base. <clears throat> that kind of stuff just irritates me. It absolutely irritates me to no end. 
And then it's a wild pitch. And uh, I go back to, uh, you know, because many of us forget about this. We talked about Ewell, right? So he fouls the first pitch back, and the wild pitch moves running to third. And then we get a call to strike two, and then it's a foul ball. So it's a one-two count. You got some room to work with here. And listen, I, I knew as sure as I was sitting there, we're going to throw a breaking ball. And a lot of people are like, oh, why would we do that? Guys, we're not going to lower the hurdles, okay? We're not going to change the game. We're not going to dumb the game down. The bottom line is this. Nate Dome has to execute that pitch. Ross Highfield has to keep that pitch in front of him. We are SEC players playing in the toughest league in all of America. We can't go up there and just throw BP. We can't just go up there. But, Steve, we should have thrown a fastball. Well, we threw a fastball to pitch at four, and he fouled it straight back. So what if we throw a fastball and he hits a line drive to left and the run scores anyway? Now all of a sudden it's, well, why didn't we throw a breaking ball? I mean, the gift of hindsight is a beautiful thing, right? But the reality of it is Ross Highfield is going to be a first-round draft pick someday, okay? Ross has got to keep the ball in front of him. And Nate's got to give him a chance. I mean, that, that slider, guys, that's in the other batter's box. It's in the other batter's box. And, and it wasn't even a competitive pitch. And Nate will tell you the same. Nate is an ace, man. Nate is our relief ace. And he made a mistake. And it's compounded by the fact you got a freshman catcher back there. And someone said, well, Steve, I question the wisdom. Guys, this is not high school baseball. It's not. And not to mention the fact the book on Yule is that he can't hit a slider. Talking to Kentucky people last night in the box was it? oh, here comes a slider. He's not going to be able to hit it. Sure enough, he didn't. And then we get a later at bat, and what we've already learned, that this kid can't handle the slider. We throw a slider, and it just happens to go wild. It was the right call. You may disagree, but that's the baseball play. When you have a guy on the ropes that has already fouled the fastball straight back, you throw him something with some bend on it. And you've got to trust that your catcher can make the play. You've got to trust your pitcher can make the play. That's baseball. That's how baseball works. You don't get in a situation where it's like, well, I'm so afraid we might make a mistake. Let's, do, let's not take a chance here. You've got to play to win. And we didn't. We lost. And it sucks. It does. It absolutely sucks. Our final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. If you're looking to move to Starkville, and I encourage you to do that, come be my neighbor as long as you're not my, my close neighbor. Uh, come be a part of this. Listen, if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. I'd love to be that close to campus, 1.1 miles away from all things maroon. Brooks's phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. In um, Portico, listen, easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12. Take the very first ride. It's Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. There's Portico on the right-hand side. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'd be glad you did. Whether it's your ballgame weekend retreat or your primary residence, Portico has a place for you. Reach out to Brooks for more information. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. All right, looking ahead to today. We got to win. We got We absolutely have to win. And uh, before we get into... Uh, you know, what's going to happen today for Mississippi State. Let's take a quick look around the league last night. Many of you I know have uh, kept up with these numbers in uh, great interest, with great interest over the last couple of days. But uh, sometimes it's tough to keep up. So that's why your good friend and host is here. Okay, so let's look at uh, last night's numbers. And, uh, again, busy weekend. Everybody in the league is opening SEC play. All right, so uh, – 
Florida had a much different ball game with Alabama on Friday. You know, Florida wins game one of that series 3-0 on Thursday. Florida takes the series 8-7, 8-7 with a walk-off, if memory serves me correct. And then how about the Missouri Tigers, man? Missouri beats Tennessee 9-1. to Now, everybody's got to believe in that Tony Vitello and that team have uh, the Harlem Globetrotters as an offense. One run. And maybe Beezer's got it turned around up there at Columbia. I don't know. But that's a loud win right there. We talked about we needed Missouri to take one. They have. Goodness, now I'm rooting for them to take a series. Arkansas hosting Auburn gets a, a game one win, 7-2. Of course, State uh, loses 6-5 on a walk-off wild pitch. Craziness. LSU beats A&M 9-0. Paul Skeen's outstanding for the Tigers. And, again, that's a, a, that's every time we mention a name, we think about we should have had him. Uh, Vanderbilt shuts out Ole Miss 8-0. Nearly 10-run rolled them again. They have outscored Ole Miss 20-2 through two ball games and have taken the first two games of the series. And it, listen, Vanderbilt, give them some credit. They have not been putting up big runs. So here's the deal. Is this an indictment on the Ole Miss pitching staff or is this Vanderbilt offense been kind of laying in the reeds? Interesting. And Oh, I, I do see here. I, I did miss this. So it looks like Alabama and Florida played uh, two yesterday. So Alabama salvages one game of the weekend. So I missed that. So I apologize. So Alabama wins game two. So Florida takes a series two games to three, and they're done. They get an extra day to rest. Good for them. They started a day early. They finished two days early. All right, so today's schedule, and it all gets started at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Vanderbilt will be looking for the sweep against Ole Miss, and as much as we don't like Vanderbilt and all their scholarship situation, uh, I think we know where our rooting interest probably lies here. Vanderbilt's coming to State next weekend. You know, maybe we can control our own destiny there and kind of get after those guys. And, of course, State and Kentucky will get will be headed to the ballpark here shortly is that is a 2 p.m. local start, 1 p.m. at Mississippi State. South Carolina's at Georgia. LSU, of course, at A&M looking to take the series. Arkansas, of course, looking to take a series from Auburn. And uh, South Carolina and Georgia will play a doubleheader today. Uh, so that's all interesting. But, yeah, State's got to come out here and play clean. Landon Gartman is going today. We moved him up a game. You know, ordinarily he's been the Sunday starter last weekend when we had the doubleheader. We moved him to game one and threw uh, uh, Graham Eintema in game three. That's the plan this time, too, even though it looks like we're not playing a doubleheader today. If uh, if we are, uh, they it's going to be a surprise because nobody's told us. But uh, the Bulldogs got to go out there and play clean today. Again, no errors yesterday. Yeah, it's like it's just one of those things you look at and you begin to think, you know, we out hit them in the ball game, and it, like you out hit them, you out played them on defense, and then in the end, you couldn't execute in the late innings on the mound. And uh, again, it's not just about it's a team loss, right? It's not just about okay, well Nate threw this ball and Ross didn't catch it, or Ross didn't block it up. I mean, how many opportunities did we have at the plate? After that big fifth inning, when we took the lead, we didn't do anything the rest of the game. We didn't score the rest of the game. I submit to you, when you don't score in the final five innings of a ball game, more times than not, you lose. That's just kind of how baseball works. So we need uh, Landon Garman to go out there and give us a good start. Uh, I do think that we'll be ready to go today. It is a day game. It is cold here. It is windy here. And the wind was blowing out last night, and there was one home run hit. I think it might be a little bit different today without having that, you know, the night air. But we'll see. 
It's a little bit thicker at night out here, but we'll see how things go. I, I don't expect home run derby, but I've, I've been wrong before. Uh, listen, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back on uh, Monday with a full 90-minute show. Again, we're kind of pressed for time today, so wanted to give you guys what we had. Uh, I do expect State went to win today. I think Landon is a guy. State has won every start that Landon Gartman has had this year. Uh, while he is just 1-0, State is 4-0 when Landon Gartman starts a ball game. Uh, and this is a this is kind of, I hate to say, a free swinging team for Kentucky, but there's a lot of swing and miss in this order. And you kind of saw some of that last night. I mean, th- these are some guys that uh, they have a tendency to overswing a little bit. And so I think Gartman's changeup could play really well today. But it's got to be a situation, too, where we're disciplined with that, where we're actually throwing it for a strike. You can't just get out there and hope that everybody chases. You've got to be able to go out there and uh, throw the breaking stuff and the changeup stuff for a strike. But, uh, you know, looking at last night, uh, the pitching numbers, you know, State struck out 13 times, Kentucky struck out 15 times. You know, so it's like we struck them out more. Uh, we played better defense than they did, and we still managed to lose the ball game. And we talk about walks. We walk seven, they walk seven. So it's kind of a, you know, a moot point in that respect. And, we, you know, Geronzo did hit a couple guys early. And, again, you go back and you think about, you know, that first inning, if you had that back, but isn't that really the case in every baseball game? There's always the one inning that you wish you had back that perhaps kind of unraveled. I'm sure Kentucky pitching would love to have that fifth inning back when we had Williams on the ropes. And uh, Kellum Clark comes through there. But, again, we'll be back on uh, on Monday to recap uh, the women's game against Notre Dame and, of course, the rest of the weekend in Kentucky. We thank you for your support, your patrons of jeanspage.com. Be sure and go check us out today. And uh, I want to get this up for you guys as quickly as possible. So we're going to do this, and we'll have full coverage uh, of today's game of jeanspage.com. We make all that stuff free. That's the videos, the interviews, everything. Uh, you don't have to be a member to read that content, but you certainly should be. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get all my sports books there. It's Dogpile, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, and Stark Villains. Blooms of Oleander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, or through your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. And as always, the best home for Mississippi State sports fans is JeansPage.com. Nobody bringing you better coverage of Mississippi State athletics than JeansPage. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.